I'd like to read this for us as we begin. Paul writes, Now if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with glory, so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, fading though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? And if the ministry that condemns men is glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the, in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. It has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage of your word. It is so powerful. It is so profound. It's one of those texts that we need to think about again and again and again. But I thank you, Father, for the truth that it shares about this great ministry that we have been given. And this great privilege we have as New Testament believers to tell others about your Son, Jesus Christ, and the hope that he brings. We pray, Father, that you would open our eyes to hear what you want to say to us today and to understand how this applies to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. As I was studying this passage this week, I was thinking how uh, this is the kind of text that if it were not in Scripture, we could not even imagine. The kind of statements that Paul makes here about the ministry that we have in the New Covenant are so profound, so broad and wide-ranging in terms of what they cover and in terms of the ministry that we have been given that it is truly amazing. So we're going to talk about that today, and I want to put it under the heading of evangelism and thinking about sharing our faith in Christ. Let me ask you this question as we begin. When it comes to evangelism, how bold are you? Is that something you feel very comfortable doing, sharing your faith or talking with others about Jesus and what he's done? Or is that something you struggle with? Hard to find the words or maybe to bring the topic up. Well, if you struggle with it, you are not alone. There are many people who do. And that's sometimes just a need to be trained in how to share our faith in Christ. But also, sometimes it's just uh, realizing that we are in a spiritual battle and we have an enemy who doesn't want us to share that good news with others. And what I would suggest to you is that most of us are evangelists for something and we may not even realize it. Let me give you an example. 
I have a friend who bought a Kindle this last year, and he just loves it, you know. And uh, whenever he sees people, it's like, man, you got to get one of these, you know. It's just great. I love to read on it. You can put all your books on there. It's like having your library on this little pad. And he is an evangelist for Kindles, in a sense. He just loves to talk about that. And maybe you have friends, you know, have an iPad, and it's the same deal. It's the latest, greatest thing, or whatever the new technology is. My son is a little bit like that, too. Uh, in his apartment where they live on campus at the seminary, you know, he's interconnected now his laptop with his desktop and his television, and he's got all this stuff integrated, and so he can record programs or show them, or he can, you know, function uh, uh, listening to music from one to the other. And when it comes to grandma and grandpa doing a Skype call to see our grandkids, He's got it so that we come up on the big screen now. You know, not the little laptop, but the big screen. I think the first time Luke saw us, he kind of went, whoa. He just stood back and looked at that. And so Matt goes, Dad, I could do this for you. You know, you got you to do this. We could get everything all wired up and put together and do this whole thing. He's like an evangelist when it comes to media centers. Well, my guess is that all of us have things like that that we find very easy to talk about. We're excited about them. We don't mind sharing them with others. It might be a good book. It might be a, a gadget that you've discovered or a new tool. It might be an idea you have or maybe it's something that you've been working on. Maybe it's even just a good deal of shopping that you found and you want to tell somebody else about it. You see, an evangelist is someone who announces good news. I mean, that's originally what the word was. An evangelist is someone who announces or proclaims good news. And then later in the New Testament, it came to be associated specifically with someone who announced the good news of the gospel, the evangel. An evangelist then was someone who announced God's good news to the world. And that's our privilege. So here's my question. Why is it easier for us to talk about stuff like gadgets or gardening or books or electronics or movies or all those kind of things than it is the gospel. Why is it easier to talk about those things that are of lesser importance, far less importance than the good news of Jesus Christ? I think it's easier we feel like that because we feel like those things are safe topics to talk about. You see, the biggest reason why we don't share our faith generally is fear. It's a fear of what others may think, or it's a fear we don't want to offend somebody if we bring this up, or maybe it's a fear we don't know what to say, or what if they ask me a question and I don't know how to answer it? Well, those things can be addressed, and we can teach you and help you in learning how to share your faith. In fact, in January, when we take the break in our ABFs, we're going to have a four-week term there that's going to talk about evangelism. And it can help you to learn how to do that more comfortably and more effectively. But the point of this passage that I really want to drive home today in this message is what Paul says here about our privilege and our responsibility as New Testament believers. The message of this text is that we can literally be bolder than Moses. Bolder than Moses. Why can we be so bold? Well, it's because of the reasons that Paul shares in this text. Number one, he tells us that we share in a ministry that is more glorious than Moses. 
Now that's a pretty awesome statement. We share in a ministry that is more glorious, more awesome even than what Moses experienced. In verses 7 to 11, Paul will compare his ministry under the new covenant with Moses' ministry under the old covenant. And these verses are a commentary on Exodus chapters 32 to 34. Now I won't have you turn there. I'll just share some thoughts from the book of Exodus in that section. You remember how God had called Israel out from Egypt and he delivered them from this oppressive situation that they were in. It's a picture of our salvation when God delivers us from the bondage and captivity under Satan and he sets us free. And he called Israel out from this nation and by his might and power he delivered them so that they might be a light to the nations, that they might reflect his glory. And he chose them not because they were better than anybody else or more numerous or anything like that. He tells us, no, they weren't. God chose them simply because of his love, his grace, just like he calls us by his grace to be his children. But Israel quickly disobeyed. In fact, we read in the book of Exodus how ten times in the wilderness they grumbled and complained. And they kept saying things like, you know, wouldn't it be better to go back to Egypt? At least we had more food there. You know, why'd you bring us out here? Was it to starve? Was it because there weren't enough graves in Egypt that you brought us out to the wilderness? And you can hear the sarcastic response and the rebellion in their hearts as they made those kind of statements. Until finally, God was so angry at them, he was ready to destroy them and to make a new nation from Moses. And Moses interceded on their behalf. Moses pleaded with God and he said to God, Lord, if you don't go with us, don't lead us up from here. God, what is it that distinguishes us from all the other nations on the earth? I mean, there's, there's nothing. It is you that distinguishes us or makes us different. God, if you don't go with us, don't lead us up from this place. And in chapter 34, God answered Moses' prayer in a way that Moses did not expect. God would go with them, but Moses would be God's mediator, God's spokesman to the people. So Moses is up on the mountain with God, and he chisels out two stone tablets, and God once again writes the Ten Commandments on those tablets of stone. And when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, the people were afraid when they saw him. And here's what the text says about that. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. And afterward, all the Israelites came near him, and he gave them all the commandments the Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. And then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went in to speak with the Lord. The people were afraid because of the glory of the Lord. 
Remember they were afraid and they trembled when God came down on the mountain and the ground shook and they saw the light and the smoke and the fire and they trembled at the presence of the Lord. And now here they have this same response when Moses comes down and his face glowed reflecting the glory of the Lord and they saw that and they were afraid so much that Moses covered his face with a veil. When he spoke to the people, the veil remained. When he met with God, he took the veil off and he spoke with God as a man speaks with his friend. Now what Paul is saying about Moses' ministry here is that Moses' ministry was glorious. I mean, it was awesome, the ministry that he had. He was a spokesman for God. As I said, he spoke with God as a man speaks with his friend face to face. I mean, who has had that kind of amazing privilege to talk with God in that way when he saw the glory of the Lord? He was a mediator for the people. He interceded on their behalf in prayer. And time and time again, God answered those prayers. And he reflected God's glory to them. They could see the Shekinah glory and the image it had on Moses. And he was a lawgiver. He brought them the law given by God. He showed them how to live in a way that pleased the Father. And so here he is. He has this glorious ministry. It was a great privilege, an awesome responsibility. And yet Paul tells us something even more amazing. He tells us that the ministry we have is even more glorious than Moses. Paul is not just defending his own ministry as an apostle, but he is speaking to us as New Testament believers who have the privilege to live on this side of the cross and understand what Jesus has accomplished for us. And he tells us the ministry we have is more glorious than Moses. Why is that? Number one, The work of the Holy Spirit under the new covenant in us changes everything. This presence of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament in the hearts of believers changes everything. Under the old covenant, God said He would dwell among them and He came and He filled the tabernacle. This this, uh, place where God would meet with them and that was portable and they could move it around and wherever God went and the Shekinah glory went, they followed that. And God would dwell among them and they would see His presence in that way. But now God says in the New Testament, you are that holy of holies. You are that tabernacle where I dwell. And He speaks of it in 1 Corinthians both corporately in the church. God is present here today. And He is speaking to your heart and to mine. And when I speak and I share from the Scripture, it's the Holy Spirit in your heart that confirms these things, that tugs at your heart or says, this is truth. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who gives us life. And He tells us that that Holy Spirit now dwells in each one of us. And if we could see it visibly, we would see the Shekinah glory, the glory of God in you and in me. He is present in our life in a powerful way. He tells us, secondly, that the Old Covenant condemns, but the ministry of the New Covenant makes men righteous. The Old Covenant 
revealed our sin, but it could not save us. Or as John Calvin said, the law shows us the disease, but with no hope of a cure. I mean, the law is holy, it's good. Uh, it shows us what God is like and what He expects of us. And it tells us that there is only one God and we are to honor and worship Him. And we're not to misuse His name, we're not to profane it or trivialize it or take it in vain. We are to treat God's name as holy because He is holy. And he goes on and he shows us in the commandments all of these things that God expects of us in the way that we should live. The problem is that we fall short. We fall short and we don't keep it as we should. But under the new covenant, the power of the Holy Spirit makes men and women righteous in the sight of God because we are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. His blood paid the penalty for our sins. It covers our sins. When we place our faith in Him, He imputes to us His righteousness. And when God looks at us, He doesn't see our sin, but He sees the image of His Son, Jesus Christ, and what He has done for us. That's amazing. And thirdly, the glory of the Old Covenant was fading. It was temporary, but the glory of the New Covenant is permanent. It is eternal. It will never be replaced. There's not another plan of salvation coming. This is the lasting and permanent covenant God would make with us. He would forgive our sins because of what His Son Jesus did for us when He died on that cross. We can be adopted into His family. We can become a child of God, a joint heir with Christ of all that is to come. What a great privilege we have. The glory of the new covenant, in fact, is so much greater that what was once glorious, Paul says, now has no glory in comparison. The new is so much greater than the old. It is like this. You know, if you go out in the evening on a winter night when the sky is clear and the stars are out, I mean, isn't it just beautiful? I love those nights to look up at the sky. I mean, if you know the constellations, you're there and you're probably picking out Orion and the winter sky is just uh, beautiful to see. And those stars just twinkle when it's cold and it's crisp. It's glorious. It's beautiful to see the handiwork of God. And yet what happens when the sun rises and fills the sky? Those stars are still there. They don't go anywhere. But you cannot see them because of the glory of the sun that so far surpasses them that they're not even visible anymore. Paul says that's what the new covenant is like. When we see the glory of the sun and we understand the gospel and the glory of the new covenant, it so far exceeds the old that what once had glory now has no glory in comparison. We share in a ministry that is more glorious than what Moses did. And therefore, because of it, we can be very bold. We can be bolder than Moses in terms of this good news that we can share with those who do not know Christ and who need to hear it. It is a message that gives life. And secondly, we share in a ministry that is more powerful than what Moses did. Think about that. I mean, that's amazing. Again, 
more powerful than Moses? I mean, wasn't he the guy that God used to do all those amazing miracles when God brought the Israelites out from Egypt? And he demonstrated his power over all of their gods. And he performed these wonders, miracles. I mean, who's done anything like that? Who has done greater miracles than those? Only Jesus. And yet God tells us we share in a ministry in which He continues to do those amazing miracles that are even more powerful every time He saves someone, every time He changes a heart, changes a life, and another person comes to know Christ. How is the new covenant more powerful than the old? It is more powerful in its effects upon individuals. You see, in the new covenant... Our eyes are open to see the glory of Christ. In the new covenant, our minds are open to understand our need for a Savior. And in the new covenant, our hearts are open to respond to God's call and His invitation. And all of that is a work of the Holy Spirit again. He came to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. He shows us our sinfulness. He shows us our need for Christ. And then He's the one who opens our eyes to see the light of the glory of Christ. It is because of His work in our heart that we can turn to Christ and we are born again. We are saved by that Holy Spirit. And we become a new creation in Christ. And Paul writes... Wherever the Old Covenant is read, that veil remains. If that's all people hear, if that's all they understand, and it's like words and they just hear it, and there is no work of the Holy Spirit to open our eyes, the veil remains. And he's specifically talking about unbelieving Jews in his time who would hear and read the Torah, they'd read the law, but they don't see Christ, and there was no change in their life. In 2 Corinthians 4, verses 3 and 4, Paul talks about Satan's role in that as well. If you look across the page, it'll say in verse 3, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing because the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. They can't see it. Because their eyes are veiled. So what do we do? What can we do when it comes to evangelism? Well, number one, we can pray. We can pray that their eyes would be open and that the veil would be taken away. Have you ever prayed like that before? When you think of someone you know, a friend or a relative, someone you love and care about, have you prayed, God, would you open their eyes to see the truth of their son? of your son would you open their eyes so that they can see who jesus really is and come and turn to him lord take the veil away from their heart i mean that's that's exactly what he did for us if you have come to know christ as your savior and lord that's what god did for you and for me and maybe you had heard the gospel many times prior to that or you had heard the scripture shared and none of it made sense until that day when God in His grace opened your eyes and you heard it as though it was the very first time and you turned to Christ. God needs to do that. We cannot save ourselves. It is a work of His Holy Spirit who enables us to respond in faith. 
And secondly, there's one thing we can't do. We can't teach or preach the Old Testament like a Jewish rabbi. We can't preach the law without the gospel. If we do, we give people no hope and the veil remains. We leave them in that state where they don't know what the cure is, what the answer is. In fact, the Old Testament can only be properly understood when we see how it points to Christ and how Christ is the fulfillment of the law. He is the fulfillment of all of these things that were true in the tabernacle and the sacrifices and the things that would point us to the sacrifice of Christ who died for our sins. The new covenant is more powerful in that it sets us free from being a slave to sin. Paul tells us where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And again, that is a work of the Holy Spirit in us. In Romans chapter 6, Paul says that once we were slaves to sin, we were in bondage, and that's all we knew to, to do. That's how we lived our life. But Christ came, and He has set us free so that now we can live for righteousness. In Galatians 5.1, he tells us, that it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. God has set you free. Don't go back to the old way of life. Don't become ensnared again by those things that are a part of this fallen world. You see, as a believer, we have a choice. We don't have to sin. We have been given the mind of Christ and we have the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. And by that Holy Spirit, He frees us from sinful habits and thoughts. He frees us from hopelessness and despair. He frees us from pride and selfishness. I remember a conversation I had with a high school friend a number of years ago where I was sharing the gospel with him and he had never heard it really clearly presented like that. And after we walked through it and I shared the gospel with him, he said, you know, I always thought that Christianity was in a sense being a slave to a bunch of do's and don'ts. That if you were a Christian, it meant, you know, you do this and you don't do that. And so he had tried to live his life by trying to follow this set of do's and don'ts. And I said, you know, that's really, that's legalism or that's works, righteousness, trying to earn things in our own power. And it doesn't work, does it? It just doesn't work. And there is no freedom in that. There's no joy in that. You still feel like you are in bondage. Just like the unbeliever who is a slave to sin. Freedom comes when we surrender our life to Christ and we surrender our heart to Him and we say, Jesus, would You come in? Forgive my sins. Be my Savior and Lord. And would You change me? And as we begin to grow in that relationship with Him and understand His Word, we see His Holy Spirit work in us. Attitudes change, old habits fall away. There are areas in our life where we may struggle and He gives us the power to overcome those things and we are made new. We are a new creation in Christ and we are changed day by day. You see, that's the third point that Paul makes here is that the new covenant transforms us we are changed by the power of the holy spirit we are transformed into the likeness of jesus christ that's the passage i read for you during communion in first john 3 2 to 3 
For one day we will stand before him and we shall be like him, made in his image. But Paul says, even now, today, in the present moment, we who know Christ are being transformed with ever-increasing glory. With ever-increasing glory. Look at verse 18 again. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. That one verse has so much in it. You know, it's the culmination of what Paul's been saying here. When he talks about how we have this privilege with an unveiled face to go into God's presence, to spend time with our Lord in prayer and in the Word. And when we do that in humility and we do that where we come to listen to God, He speaks to us. And we are changed. You know, it is possible to have our quiet time say or to read Scripture and not think about it at all and it will have no effect upon us. I mean, you could do that even every day if you did and you just went through the motions of reading but not really thinking about that and it's not going to change us. It's only when we come in humility and we think about what God has said in His Word and we begin to apply that to our life or we meditate on the truth of what Scripture has said that we are changed. You could take this passage with its profound truths and you could do that all this week. You could just take this one verse even and chew on it and say, God, what an amazing privilege it is. I don't have to wear a veil. I can come to you freely without pretense. You know everything about me already. What an incredible privilege that I can come and pray to you and talk with you because of your son Jesus. And God, what an amazing thing that you are transforming me even now, today, every day. I am being changed into your likeness with ever-increasing glory. How does that happen? Well, again, it is the work of the Holy Spirit in us who prompts us, encourages us, convicts us, empowers us, leads us, all of those things. And it happens as we look to Christ in His Word. The more time we spend with God in His Word, the more we are changed. Sometimes the change is rapid. Maybe when you first came to know Christ, you went through a period where it just felt like your growth was just taken off. More of the time that change is slowly, almost imperceptibly, on a daily basis, we are changed. Here's the deal. Under the Old Covenant, only Moses had the privilege to speak with an unveiled face to God. And only he reflected the Lord's glory. But under the New Covenant, we all have that privilege. We all have that privilege of prayer and coming before God, and we all are to reflect His glory in this world. So that at work, in your neighborhood, with friends, when you're uh, doing your leisure activities or with your family, that others might see God's grace in you and the image of His Son. Therefore, we can be very bold. We can be very bold. In my study this week, I came across this story that was told about a Scottish preacher. And it was at the communion table where he read the very same passage that I read today from 1 John 3. 
that one day we shall be like him because we shall see him just as he is. And this Scottish preacher stood at the communion table in Edinburgh and he said, do you believe your faith? Do you believe this that I am telling you? Do you believe that a day is coming, really coming, when you will stand before the throne of God and the angels will whisper together and say, how like Christ He is. How like Christ she is. That's not easy to believe, is it? It's not easy to believe when we see our sinfulness. When we see our failings. And yet it is true. He said, yet not to believe this is blasphemy. For that, not less than that, is what Christ promises that we will be like Him. You know, in this life, we would hope that people would see in us something of the Father's likeness. That we would be like our Heavenly Father. But in that day, that transformation will be made complete and we will be like Christ. And when we see one another, we will recognize each other with our own unique personalities and the way that God has made us, but we will see the fullness of Christ reflected so perfectly in you. What a glorious day that will be. What a great ministry we have been given. And what a great message we have to share, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is a message that can open people's eyes to see Jesus and who He is and all of His fullness and glory. It's a message that can set people free from their sin and the things that enslave us. It is a message that can transform a person's life forever. What a great message. What good news. So don't be afraid to share that good news, whether it's with a stranger or a friend. As you have opportunity, be bold. Remember, we can be bolder than Moses. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this wonderful passage of Scripture. I think it's the kind of text that it takes more than once to hear. We need to ponder it again and again to understand the truth of what you have done in our life when we came to know Christ and the privilege that we have to share that good news with others. Father, this Christmas season, would you empower us and give us that kind of boldness to share good news, the gospel, with those who have never heard it before. Father, make us bold to invite others to come to join us as we worship you at church on Sunday or to come to some of our special events that are coming up. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for the grace and the work that you have done in our life. Help us now to share that good news with others. In your name, amen.